Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome to This Week in Production, recorded live on location in San Diego, California. This is the final episode from San Diego, and I have a special, special treat. More after this. Before I get to this week's topic, I want to encourage you to send me your comments and feedback. Please email thisweekinproduction at gmail.com or call me on my Google voicemail. I'm not going to answer, but it's, it's a voicemail box that you can leave a message. 601-564-TWIP, T-W-I-P, 601-564-8947. Like I said, I'd love to hear from you, comments, suggestions, good, bad, or whatever. You want to yell at me? You want to tell me I suck? Please, I welcome it. Okay, let's get back to this week's topic. Joining me on This Week in Production, his first physical appearance, though he's been referenced thousands of times on the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, my business partner, Mr. Lou Cortez. Hey, I didn't know I've been referenced that much. Get a little more excited, Lou. Okay, I will. Lou Cortez. All righty. What would you like to know? What's your first, what's your topic here? Lou, as you know, and you probably don't know, it is customary on this week in production to usually partake in some tequila. I know you're not the biggest of uh, drinkers, but we have poured you. Christian, what is Mr. Cortese drinking tonight? Casa de Oro Reposado. I have a very nice extra añejo, so we'll start off with a friendly cheers. Salud. Salud. Welcome to this week in production, Lou. Hello, Mr. Art Aldrich. Lou, we've known each other probably since, I'm going to say, the late 90s. Can't predict the exact year right now because I didn't do any research. I I think it's more like the mid-90s, around 95, yeah. 95, 96. So that's at least um, 50 years by my math. (laughs) But don't go by my math because I'm usually wrong. I, and we'll get into our business relationships over that time, but you've got, had a quite a interesting past, pre-art, before I knew you. You had quite a, a journey through life, and I'd you know, like to explore some of those details. So tell the audience, like, you know, you went to college, you studied film and TV. Tell us a little bit about your, your early days in the business. Uh, I started college later in life. I, I went out of high school and uh, went for a year, dropped out, uh, and then spent the next, I guess, four or five years uh, traveling around, doing things um, all over the world until I kind of found my niche, which was photography. Tell us some of the, I know some of the places that you travel to, but you travel to some very interesting places in oh, okay. those five yeah. or six years. Okay, yeah, pretty much. Uh, well, my first foray into Europe, I went for three months and just traveled, did like a, a hitchhiking through Europe thing uh, for three months, came back to the States, uh, worked for another year, I liked it a lot, so I decided to go back to, to Europe and uh, 
spent some time there again. So I moved into London. I, I lived there for about a year. And then uh, I bought a motorcycle over there, expecting to tour uh, Europe in the summer on a motorcycle. Well, the friend I went with convinced me to go overland uh, to Western Asia and India. So kind of bagged the idea of uh, traveling through Europe and uh, did an overland excursion through uh, uh, Greece, Turkey, Afghanistan, Iran, uh, Pakistan, India, went up to the northern Himalayas, spent uh, some time up there, uh, and then headed back to London and uh, um, wound up back in the States after I kind of ran out of money at that point. <laughs> Obviously had a enjoyable time sort of, uh, I don't know, I, were you like one of those peace, hippie peace guys? Were you anti-war protester? Were you? Well, I, I was an anti-war protester. Like actually, the first, the first flight I ever took on an airplane is I flew to uh, uh, the Washington, D.C. march. And I think it was, I guess, 1969 or 70 to protest the war. It was my first, my first airline flight, too. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of was long that. Long hair, bell bottoms, Yeah, pretty much long hair. My hair wasn't long, it was more curly than long, but. <laughs> so anyway, at some point you get your, your sort of uh, agenda set. You go to college after yeah, your little I, journey. I, I went back because I, I started taking pictures while I was in London and I enjoyed it a lot. Took a lot of pictures through Western Asia. Uh, so I kind of found that as a niche. And uh, so You're talking about photography. Yes, photography and, and decided to go back to school for photography. So uh I spent the next, I guess, from 70, um, I guess, 76, 1976, 77 uh, to 82 uh, in college. Uh, I went for my graduate degree, too, so that's why I was in so long. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, got, got a, uh, a degree in uh, fine arts, and uh, mostly I, I did film in college, so I, I started working on some, uh, some films, some low-budget films, um, but then I kind of uh, got into a video niche, and it paid really well. Uh, it was a lot less less hours. It was more. I was getting into corporate video, which the hours were a lot better than doing film when you're working like 12 to 15 hours a day. And at that point, I was uh, uh, I was going to get married and looking to settle down more. So uh, I stayed in the video realm because it was more a little more steady income. And in, 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 so what year was that when you're talking that about was, video? That uh, was probably 1984, somewhere in there. So 84, so what was the corporate video world uh, It was like? basically three-quarter inch decks, yeah, beta cam, yeah. uh, stuff like that. And I, I was mostly, uh, I did some camera work, but mostly, um, you know, managing stuff. Um, I worked for a, a studio uh, in New Jersey uh, managing their uh, video department. So it was more hiring, um, hiring people, camera people, audio people, whatever, makeup. I worked in the, in the video management realm till like 80, maybe 85, 86, till about 91. Then I, uh, I went up to Massachusetts to work on a, a, a ride film uh, for Doug Trumbull. So I left that job and it was supposed to be a full-time uh, permanent job working on that uh, on that ride film and uh, that lasted about two years and then I came back down to Jersey because there wasn't much work this was in western Massachusetts there wasn't much work up there so I came back down to Jersey 
and went back to, uh, to managing the video studio. And that's where I met up with Art, which is about 90, I guess, 94, 95, somewhere in there. Right. So the, the story of how we met was interesting in the sense that it wasn't just, you know, hey, uh, this guy needs some help. Um, the story of how we met goes back to a chance encounter with a third-party person. I'll just call him Bob, protect the innocent. So I was producing this film commercial, and I had hired my, my new friend, Eric, to DP it, and he had more experience in the film world with the gear than I did, so he was running point on the, on the kits and what we needed. And he said, you need this Panther dolly to, to do this shot. This, we wanted to do this high shot coming off a sign, crane down. And this was a, a dolly that we needed to use. And, of course, I didn't know anything about the Panther dolly. When I actually went to pick it up, I was in my Ford Mustang. I pull up to the loading dock at CSC in the city. And the, you know, the um, Teamster laughed his ass off when I told him I was here to pick up the Panther. Because the Panther came in a giant set of cases that wasn't going to fit into my Ford Mustang. So I had to go rent a truck, come back. And as I'm loading all this in, I realized that neither one of us has any clue how to run said Panther dolly, let alone assemble it. So this was just when the internet was, you know, emerging and Apple had a service called eWorld. It was basically a private label version of AOL, but it was only for Apple um, computer users. And I had an account and I was experimenting with it. And it was a little community uh, for film and video. And it wasn't really a lot of people on there, but there were some people talking about things. And I put a post saying, I need someone in the New York area who can set up a Panther dolly and this is for, you know, tomorrow, <laughs> right? And I'm like, I'm at, at desperation level, so I'm just rolling the dice. And would, wouldn't you know it, it, within about an hour, I get a reply saying, hey, this is Surfer Bob. And uh, I went to school, and we had a Panther, and I know how to set it up, and I am available tomorrow. So I said, all right, come on up. I met this guy, and he was like this California surfer dude, but he was living in Jersey. And, you know, we did the job, and it went went great. And he continued to do some work with me, and he was telling me, you know, where he wanted to go. He was a little younger than I was. He wanted to be a director. He wanted to do documentaries, save the planet sort of things, and he wanted to work for Discovery Channel. That was his goal in life. And after whatever, maybe a year or two, I had lost touch with Bob. But on the other side of the planet, you had <laughs> hired Bob, you know, right. separately and independently of me. I didn't know right. you. And you had hired Bob because he was a Media 100 editor. Right. And you were running Media 100 systems. Right. That was the advent of uh, all the computer editing stuff. And uh, I, I don't remember where I found Bob. I don't think it was through eWorld or anything, but... I think someone recommended me. So he was, uh, he was doing some editing for me for a while. Uh, then I called him for a job and he said he couldn't do it, but he had, uh, he had this other guy that, um, knew, knew media 100. Well, right. So Bob calls me and he goes, listen, I need a favor. 
He goes, I've been working in this uh, corporate, you know, video production place, but I got a job interview at Discovery. And I don't want to leave this guy high and dry. Would you mind talking to him and see if you can, you know, help him out on this job I'm in the middle of? So I go down and I meet I meet you. And it was, you know, some weird setup in the bowels of a pharmaceutical company. And but you had all that like two or three or maybe four meeting one hundred rooms. Do you remember the amount of drives that were yes. that were hooked yeah, up? Yeah, these to- these were early, early nonlinear editing systems. And and Media One Hundred at the time was was probably the number one competitor to Avid. And I I know because I was going to buy Avid. I looked at Avid. Everyone knew Avid back then. Mm-hmm. Because they had the best name, they had the best quality. But Media 100 had just come around as a newcomer. It was way affordable, too. They were about half the price or maybe a third of the price of the Avid, and their picture quality was better. Right. You weren't consulting for Apple then, were you? I was consulting for Apple. At some point in the middle of all the corporate stuff, I had started working as a consultant because I I was getting less calls for online editing and more calls for, Hey, can you help Mm. us fix the edit system? Right. And I don't know how you had it in the early days of media 100, but in, in my experience, the media 100 was very problematic with the Apple operating system. Right. And I literally would spend usually two or three hours every morning on the phone with the media 100 tech support. And I was basically getting an education on how to troubleshoot Apple computers because every time something didn't work, you were going in and you were turning off extensions or you were, you know, zapping the memory, you know? So I I had basically a a firsthand real world education in Apple troubleshooting. Right. So as the calls for my uh, hiring as an editor were diminishing, there was an increase in the calls to do consulting and troubleshooting and maybe even some system build out. So at some point we got together and said, okay, let's try to set up a business that focuses on doing um, video systems and training. And then we brought in another gentleman who had PC experience And now the company really had a focus of, okay, doing integration work between Mac and PC. And And the the server world. We got into the server world. And it was something that was unique in a sense that there were lots of people who did PC IT work. But the PC guys didn't know Macs. And the Mac guys didn't usually know PCs. And we were taking an approach. We would come in and we would do it as one company, Mac and PC. So we had a lot of ad agencies. We had a lot of businesses that had, um, you know, mainly PCs, but they had a marketing department that was Mac. Right. We were unique in that field that we were both Mac and PC. Mm, Hybrid. Hybrid. And we sort of rode that wave. That was the wave of Final Mm. Cut Pro, digital video, Firewire. Like that was, we were right on the cusp of that wave. And we rode that wave, you know, I mean, it wasn't a long business. We right. were in business for about four and a half years before it blew up. Right. But it, it blew up for different reasons with yeah. Apple and, and things like that. And I, I think you were like conflicted too about, you know, 
which direction to go, whether to stick with the video stuff or the consulting stuff. There came, there came a point where it was, you know, my love was always production, but again, being, you know, basically a sole proprietor, you have to do what you have to do to where the money eat. is. Right. So you go, you go where the money is. So the money was in consulting for a while and then the money was good. Going even back to your days in that corporate video world and Umatics and probably Igigami 79 cameras, mm-hmm. tube-based things, you've seen a lot of change in the technology, in business, in video, in you know that corporate production world. Like, you know, what are some of the the milestones that you saw? Like, I, for me. It was definitely digital and firewire. That was a mm-hmm. milestone where you saw this tides changing right in front of your eyes. Like you must have seen some of those indicators and in technology change too. Yeah, well, it was funny because uh, you know when I first started in video, like I said, it was all Umatic or Betacam and whatever. And um, you know when I started working for corporate, that was all uh, the the studio we, was, we were working at was all like it was all Umatic. The the whole the, the editing was Umatic. Everything was Umatic. And um, I was, and that's when I started like looking into the computer stuff, you know, the computer editing, the media 100. And I was trying to convince the, uh, the manager of the department to, you know, go in that direction, but he was a little leery of it. And I said, listen, I will, you know, I will purchase a system and I'll put it in your, in your facility and, you know, we'll get, we'll, we'll train some people to use it or whatever. Um, so that that was a big jump. I I think um, he was doing a lot of long format stuff that was, I guess, not too suited for a media one hundred at the at that point. But then he started getting a lot of us, uh, you know, short smaller jobs that would you know two three four five minute um, info commercials for their company or whatever. Um, so he started doing more and more of that on on the media one hundred, and um, from there he he wanted to do the longer format stuff, which as you know, is like really hard to do with, with, with at the time at the time with um, drives because I think to get like a a five or six gigabyte drive it was like five thousand dollars. So he said, "Listen, can you just can you daisy chain and whatever?" I said, "Yeah, you can do that, but it's you know you're gonna need a lot of drives. They didn't come any bigger than like five or six gigabyte." So <laughs> turned out he had a project that was a two hours long. A finished project and wound up buying i don't know it had to be eight or ten of those drives those six gigabyte drives and it at five and six thousand dollars a pop these are the days of scuzzy yeah and you had like eight flavors of scuzzy you had terminators that had to be on when the you know the drive didn't have a loop Lots of things that could go wrong. You had active termination. You had passive termination. And if it failed, you'd have to start all over. Yeah, you would. You would. You would. So did you ever have a staff job in this business or were you always a contractor? Always a contractor. Yeah. Permalancer, contractor. When you came out of school, like what was your expectation? Did you want a staff job? Did you even no, know? No, no, no. Like, I, I, you just go with the I wanted the to do. I, I wanted to do film. You know, when I, like I said, when I got out of college, I got on a... Uh, um, independent feature. It, guy was shooting in 16 millimeter. Some uh, some director from the West Village uh, worked on that as an assistant. Uh, you know, assistant cameraman, loader, AC, all that. AC yeah. um, did that. Worked on a couple of uh, features, which you know, one was the location scouting. 
another was um, I don't even remember what it was. It's like 1980, 80 something, 82, 83. Uh, why, one was Atlantic City. I remember it was, a, it was a, a a location scout for the movie Atlantic City, and then there was another French film they were shooting in New York. I think the director was uh, Francois Truffaut. James Kahn was in it or something, and I, and I worked on that one. But um, and that's when I kind of went over to the video realm because I was putting in long, long hours. I, you know, and I I came in older to this whole thing. You know, I wasn't like a, a spring chicken anymore. You know, and uh, I was going to get married. You know. And uh, I was looking to settle down and didn't so want to do these. You, you weren't chasing the Hollywood dream. No, no, no. I, I kind of like, well, what happened was I, I guess I got into my midlife crisis. That's when I moved up to the Berkshires to work with Doug Trumbull. That was my realm back into the film realm on that Back to the Future ride. Um, and I worked up there for two years before coming back down because I, I think it was like 91 or 92 where, you know, the recession hit and, and Doug Trumbull was trying to... Uh, uh, make this he moved out of Hollywood because he hated the whole Hollywood scene and liked the Berkshires and all that and he set up a, a studio with uh, uh, another backer and uh, it was supposed to be a long-term thing I was going to be studio manager um, which I was I went up there originally to do it, it was a it was an old 150,000 square foot mill that they turned into a studio to do um, this back to the future project so I was brought up there as a kind of a, a construction supervisor because I had construction background um, and to get the uh, the whole studio ramped up to do this huge uh, Back to the Future project. So I worked, I did that for probably about three, four, or maybe five months. Uh, they gave me like a like a six or $700,000 budget to do it. I had a, a set of five stages and a modeling room and all that. So I did that and then they brought the project in now it was great. It was fun. It was it was lots of hours, fifteen hours a day. Um, worked on that, and it was supposed to continue on, but the recession hit, so um, they couldn't keep me on. Uh, they kept me on for like more of a freelancer again. Like if a project came in, I would I would come in for you know two three weeks here and there. But basically, there wasn't enough work to keep me up there. So I headed. Uh, I, I went back down to uh, New Jersey and hooked back up with the with the uh, studio I was managing, the video studio. But that's uh, a short history of how that happened to get back into film and then back out again. <laughs> I mean, did you ever consider? Like, I know you've got you know some experience, I guess, from your dad and growing up in building and you know construction and con like did you ever consider getting out of the video business at any point like were you ever like why am i doing this like, um, like most of us have had thoughts well yeah there's always those days you know there's those but um i knew what construction was like and it was like okay i know construction do i want to really get back into that and do that for the rest of my days because let's face it doing video is not as physically um, hard as... It's not as backbreaking. Yes, exactly. So, you know, it could age you quickly doing construction, you know? And so I really didn't want to get back into that. Um, and and uh, the money was obviously better doing the video end of it, so... Now, in if you could reboot, right? Like, rewind yourself to... 20 6 18 maybe when you're going into college mm. or you you know at that point in your life like would you if you could redo your career like would you do mm. it differently 
Would uh, you go into a different career? Like I always no. said to myself, if I wasn't in video, I would probably like to be an airline pilot. Like I would like to just fly a plane, go to all different places and live that mm. life. That would be what I would do if I wasn't in video. Like, have you thought about that? Um, at, if you, if you go back that far, no, because I didn't have like a, uh, like a, a direction. I didn't have any kind of like thought like where, you know, where am I going when I'm going to get older? You know, it didn't hit me until I got into photography, really what I wanted to do. Cause I was just kind of meandering for like, you know, five or six years after I got out of high school. It was just, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to tour the world. I'm going to see what's going on out there. Cause I really don't have a direction. I'm wasting my time in college because I went one year, did okay, but I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So that was like, you know, light bulb went off. Hey, this, this is great. I'm going to go overseas and see what it's like, you know? Um, but then that's when I got hooked on photography. When I went overseas, I was taking pictures um, while I was there and it just, you know, rolled from there into, you know, into doing uh, film and video. Like those, like I didn't have any experiences like that where I took time off. I mm. traveled as mm. a young person with no, really no cares in the world. Mm. Um, how does that impact your outlook on, on work? Like, had, did you take anything away from there and go, you know, I can use these experiences to help me in. Yeah, I did. I mean, I found out that, you know, like working is serious business, but you can't take it that it's like your, your whole life. It's not like you're, it's not your being, you know, it's like, there's other things in life. Like work is part of it and you can't get too crazy and nuts about, you know, what's going on in your work you know, work world and letting it affect your, your private world. So, I mean, in that respect, I guess all that, you know, waiting and traveling and all that kind of like, I don't know, maybe calm me down to not, you know, think really hard about what I was going to do with my life. So. I remember one time we had your son with us on a job and I don't know if it was, you know, the first time that he had been on a production job with you or not, but I remember him saying, at the end of the day, he goes, Dad, I still don't know what you do for a living. And yeah, I remember I, that. <laughs> I get that, too. Like, my kids don't really understand. My wife certainly doesn't understand what I do. But, like, did you ever go well, to say to yourself, like, what the hell is it that I'm doing? Well, you know what? Because there's so many facets to this business. I mean, there's so many, like, things you got to deal with in this business. It's not like, you know, you're a carpenter and you're dealing with wood and you're, you know, you're dealing with a hammer and a nail and whatever. Uh, and, and film, you know, a video, you're dealing with like, you know, 20 different things at once. And you have to kind of be a, a little jack of all trades. You know, you have to know a little bit of everything. You're like, you're going here, you're going there, do this, do that. Um, and you have to know about a lot of different things. Do you have any funny experiences that you can share from your work, your, your, you know, any point? The, the work aspect? Funny stories that happened on a set or on a job, things that were unexpected or that you still remember to this day and you go, oh, that was a funny. Uh, well, one was when I was working, uh, you know, for Tony and, um, well, that was a couple. One, like he wanted to do a steady cam thing and I never, I never ever ran a steady cam, number one. And now you're dealing with like, this is like the 1987 steady cam. Okay. The thing probably weighs like 50 pounds. And you're putting a, an, an ikigami on it attached to a deck. So just putting that thing on, I remember just working with it, going up and down steps in a, 
uh, a Montclair You're mansion. You're wearing it? I'm wearing oh, it, my yeah. Goodness. Yeah. With and no it, training. No training at all. <laughs> no training. <laughs> Three days. <laughs> Three days of that. So that was one crazy experience. Another one was when he had me, because uh, Tony was great like that. He was just experimental. Experiment. If he, if they wanted him to do something, yeah, I can do that and we'll do it. You know, yeah. one was like they wanted shots of Manhattan out of a helicopter. So he hires a helicopter and they have like a, it was, it was a jury rigged helicopter with like a, a, a mount that was a chair that was like hanging outside the helicopter. It was like a, a gunship and they mounted a camera. They had a camera mount on it. So he had me on the helicopter hanging outside with the freaking camera going around Manhattan. Was and GW it a stabilized Bridge. mount? No, it was oh. not stable. You were fighting that thing. <laughs> We're fighting that thing. That was another crazy one. I had a similar helicopter experience. Oh, you did? When I was in college, community college, I had uh, a class in studio production. So we decided that we were going to produce a, um, a late night show, a spoof on late night shows. And we needed to build a set. And the studio had no supplies, with no set shop. So we needed to get wood so there was a lumber yard down the street from the school and i remember i walked in i said hey i'm you know in the you know college film program and you know we want to make a tv show we need some lumber do you you know want to do a trade you give us the wood and we'll make a commercial for you and i guess i was talking to the owner and he said oh that sounds like a great idea so he gave us like 500 dollars worth of lumber and we decided to make a commercial for him. And these are the days of three quarter inch, as mm-hmm. you were saying. And we produced a commercial. And he had a big, he had a big lumber yard. It was like pretty impressive, mm-hmm. probably five acres worth of uh, yard. He goes, you know, you really can't tell how big my operation is. I go, well, I understand that, but I mean, the only way that I can think of that you would be able to do that is from from a helicopter. And I'm, I'm, you know. 20 i have no idea what that even means but i talk him into hiring a helicopter to shoot aerials again i don't know what i'm talking about so i i go to the local airport which happened to be in my town it was an airport there and there was a helicopter charter business and i was talking to the guy he goes well yeah we can um you can rent this bell jet ranger we'll take the door off um, you can put your feet on the the landing platform and hang out the door, and we'll strap you in, and you can shoot whatever you want. I didn't know anything about stabilizers or Tyler right. mounts or anything, and we literally went up and we shot for two hours. You're there, okay? And I'm literally okay. the only thing holding me in is a nylon seatbelt and a camera that's strapped to my body. And you're not thinking about it. I wasn't. And I'll, well, I can tell you about the the sprinter story, but that's. That's a scary funny. Which sprinter story? <laughs> the one where I got trapped in the back of the sprinter. That's a funny story. Yeah. When you were when I was in there, it wasn't funny. Good. All me. right. Um, anyway, we're we're doing a uh, Art and I are doing a job, and this is modern history. This is modern history. Yeah. This go. This is what two years ago, maybe yes. whatever. Uh, and we're getting set to do a job, and we're you know we have a sprinter van, you know, loaded to the guild with equipment. So. Uh, the, the the sprinter vans all loaded up with stuff and my audio guy calls me up and says um oh make sure we have uh some batteries in there for the uh you know for the mics and all that so uh, you know, i go down to the office and i pick up some batteries and 
And meanwhile, the, the, the truck is parked in front of my house. It's summertime, probably about 90 degrees out. So I open the back of the van, the double doors. I open one door. I crawl in, put the batteries in. Boom, the door shuts behind me. So meanwhile, you know, I'm on top of all the gear now. And uh, so there's a, there's a latch inside. So, okay, I go, you know, I go to pull the latch to open it. Well, the, uh, the, the top doesn't open. The bottom opens, the top doesn't. So I'm pushing the door. The, the, it didn't release on the top. So here I'm in the back of this van, it's dark in there. It's 90 degrees. And, you know, at this point, I'm not too, I'm saying, okay, let me just try and kick the door open. Kicking, kicking, not opening, not opening. And you don't have your phone on. I you. don't have my phone. It's two in the afternoon. My wife is, uh, she's a teacher. She's at work, so she's not home. <laughs> so I'm kicking, it's not opening. It's not, I said, okay, what the F am I going to do here? And, and meanwhile, this van is filled with, with cases, and I'm on top of them. And there's no light. There's no light in the van. So uh, I'm crawling around. What am I going to do? So uh, there's, a, there's a partition that uh, partitions the cab. And it, it was a crew cab, so there's seating in the back, and, and there's a side window. And the uh, meanwhile, it's you know it's getting really hot up there. Now I'm like, okay, this is bad. Uh, so I go to the side window. I said, okay, I'm just going to kick the window out, but only like maybe a third of the window is in the back part, and the rest is in you know uh, behind, behind the, the partition. behind the partition. So I get on my back, and I'm like, I start kicking the window kicking as hard as I can and it won't break because I'm at the edge of the window I can't get to the center of it and I said okay this is it I'm gonna die in here it's like 110 now and I'm, <laughs> I'm like getting scared now what the f am I gonna do so I'm looking around the van feeling around because it's dark in there and I I, I find a, a Miller tripod we had luckily it wasn't in the case and I kind of managed to get it and it had a, it had a good heavy metal head on it so i took the tripod and i just started ramming it against the window and it finally freaking shattered and i was able to squeeze myself through the window but it was pretty frightening i i remember <laughs> you hearing about that story i couldn't <laughs> believe like that's one of those things that you would not expect to happen but it does happen yeah. and it happened to you well, that's one of my near-death experiences yes. that uh, lou Lita always talks about you recently came off a 40-day road trip with the young Christian Schlicht, mm -hmm. who has been on the podcast mm -hmm. before. I mean, how did that, how did you rationalize that in your head? When I came to you and said, Lou, <laughs> are you interested in doing this? And I know you're the kind of person who, I mean, you're the first in line to do whatever has to be done. We have the same philosophy in that way. But like, when I brought that to you, like, what were you thinking? What did your wife say to you when you were talking about it? Well, and I, I think you first, when you first talked about it, you talked about driving to California too. Do you remember that? I think I yeah. think we weren't certain if that yeah, was going to be you, part of it or not, but I did say you, you might have to go to yeah, California. Yeah, I, I remember that. Um, you know, well, uh, one reason obviously is, I mean, it was work, okay? It's like, you know, there wasn't much work before that. And, you know, our, our jobs were like mostly spaced through the whole year. And we went, what, four or five months, yeah, I guess. From, from March until October. October. Yeah. From, six months. Yeah, six months with no work. And it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do here? You got you to gotta make money, you know. It's okay. So it's 40 days on the road. But um, my wife, uh, obviously, she wasn't too happy about it either. But she knew. She, she knew uh, it was 
you know, I had to work and what am I going to be doing? Sitting around the house. I mean, I, I'm not an editor and you know, I'm not like, I, I, I don't know enough technology to say, okay, I'm going to do this for the next whatever many months. Um, so that's one reason. And the other reason I don't mind travel, right. you know, travel doesn't bother me. I've, I freaking travel, like I said, all over the freaking world. What's, what's a few States, you know? So how, I mean, how was it being on the road? I mean, I know you had a little bit of back and forth at one point in the trip, but for the most part, you stayed out on the road for 40 days. What was that like, especially with someone who's, I don't know, for at least 40 40 years years younger. younger. Yeah. No, it was, I mean, Christian's great. You know, he's, you know, he's a very humorous guy. Keeps, you know, keeps things light and I keep things light. So uh, I you're, don't think you're, we, you're a very young at heart person. Yeah, so pretty I think much. That helps pretty much. But but sometimes still, <laughs> someone forty years younger doesn't always get the same priorities that you yeah. have. Right. So like how just how is that experience well, on the road? I, I had enough stories to keep Christian amused. <laughs> number one, <laughs> and uh, he's he's a very talkative guy. So you know we we passed the time pretty well. You know it was. I don't think we had one issue. We said, well, you know what? I can't stand you anymore. Just get away from me. We didn't have any issues like that. Uh, we stayed in uh, Airbnbs and, um, you know, shared. Uh, so I can't really say there was any moments where, you know, we didn't get along and have a good time. What was your um, reaction to the, to to you know, the places you visited? Like, were you surprised were you uh, unimpressed, very impressed with their level of COVID awareness and safety? Well, I, I was um, mostly impressed, but it was like when we were on highways and stopping at truck stops, it, get a, it got a little hairy because you see people, uh, and I guess there's mostly a lot of truck drivers, didn't take it super seriously because they would, they would go in without masks and whatever. It was like you see they weren't taking it seriously. But uh, for the most part, like uh, when we did have to, I mean, if we were going to go into like a restaurant, we make sure we made sure it wasn't like, you know, more than half full, and we were always six to ten feet uh, away from people. But I think for the most part, people were going in, you know, stores with masks and 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 all that, you know, generally. Lou, you're not one to stand in front of the camera. It was hard to get you behind the microphone <laughs> on while. this podcast. I think it has been a good storytelling experience to have you on the podcast i hope it doesn't take two more years <laughs> to have you on another episode thank you for uh coming on and let's hear from the the audience if we want to hear more from lou cortez well thank you art i i did have fun i can't i gotta say it was fun all right well here's to uh, a somewhat successful year and uh to a better 2021 cheers cheers do you have something to say Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.